Today's Jan- Tuesday, January 29th, and this is episode 82 of the Birdland BS Podcast. On today's show, we're going to talk Ravens' John Harbaugh press conference takeaways, some potential first-round draft targets of the Ravens, it's Super Bowl 53 week, men's basketball and football at Maryland, and Scott goes to O's Fan Fest. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred, Scott, and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's up, BSers and playmakers? Fred Scott, episode 82 of the Birdland BS Podcast. Apologize for the delay. We had some technical difficulties uh, that, well, you know, it took us like, what, 15 minutes to manage to get through, but we got through them. Man. <laughs> Speed bumps. Speed bumps. Part of the, uh, part of the gig, I guess. <laughs> that, was, uh, that wasn't a speed bump. That was a, uh, yeah, that was a speed <laughs> mountain. Right, right. All right, so we got a lot to cover on this show. We got a lot of different topics to go through. Uh, one thing that I want to take a second uh, to kind of make clear here, because I know this is only our second show as a part of the Big Play family, and one thing that we kind of skipped over last week and didn't really talk about much was for you out there that are new to the show, uh, that are joining us through the Big Play website, through Facebook and Twitter and all those things. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Fred. This is Scott. We are Birdland BS. We're a, we're a Baltimore sports podcast. We've been doing this thing for about a little over a year now. I uh, just started doing the live video streams about six, seven months ago. Uh, so we talk all Baltimore sports here. We go Ravens, Orioles, Terps. Uh, even in the slower seasons, we'll get into some of the, you know, the smaller sports and, you know, things of that nature. We'll even talk arena league football, we'll talk some local sports, some high school sports sometimes. Just kind of depends uh, what's, you know, the hot button topics of the week and what's kind of going on in the Maryland the state of Maryland sports we have fun. We have fun with Baltimore sports. So yeah. that's, you know, so, some of you guys know if you're sports fans, you know it's slow time. Right. You know, you, this is after the Super Bowl, we got a few weeks where it gets it gets real, real hard to find <laughs> news to talk about. Right. Exactly. But we, uh, that's why we cover other things. We do everything Baltimore. We do get into some national topics every once in a while as well, especially like NFL draft coming up. Right. We've got our, our draft show that we usually do. So we'll definitely be making sure that we uh, – we chime in and let people know when we are doing that. And we're on episode 82, so we're 18 of these things away from our 100th episode, which we are in the background kind of trying to plan some things for 100 to make it a big deal and uh, to to get you guys out and involved with the show. So we're going to have this as we're going to try to do something more so of a live show somewhere at a bar or a restaurant location type event uh, where we can all interact together. We're working on some things, so as we come up with more details, we'll be sure to let you guys know right away. Stay tuned. Yeah, for sure. But before we get too involved in these things, we want to remind you, are you guys in the market to buy or sell a home? Do you want someone who will go to bat for you? Call our guy, John Sheffenacker over at Cummings & Co. Realtors. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. He's always available to take your call anytime, day or night. 
For you Oriole fans out there, you may know him as the guy with the orange button down, the black tie, and the backwards hat sitting behind the Orioles dugout at Camden Yards. So give John a call today, 443-604-6298. And you guys know how it is. I say it every week. John helped us buy our house. And when I say helped us, he, he really, really helped us. He goes through, was on vacation, got us in the house that we wound up buying, Afterwards, he takes care of his clients. We hear from him every once in a while. Uh, every few months, he's checking in. We just had our anniversary, as he calls it, our anniversary of, our, of getting our house, and he sends us off a little card and, and does it for the holidays as well. I told you about that pecan pie at Thanksgiving. It's, many a time, Scott. Many a time. Yeah. About it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got some. You got I some. Did, I did. You got, a, you got a sliver, a sliver of that thing. But no, it, you want to make sure that if you're in the market for a house, Please do not hesitate to give John a call. Make sure you you tell him that we sent you, but call him at 443-604-6298. You can also email him at johnsheffa at gmail.com. Yeah, at email.com. johnsheffa (laughs) at gmail.com. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F-A at gmail.com. And make sure to tell him that Birdland BS was the one that sent you. All right, man. That's right. Let's jive right into this thing. We're going to talk some Ravens first. Um, obviously, the, the big news that we announced last week was that uh, the Ravens and John Harbaugh had come to an agreement. Uh, the terms weren't really announced at the time, so we just kind of went into our thoughts and opinions on the, the extension and whether or not he was the right fit to bring back. Well, now he's had his press conference, and he said a lot of interesting things in the press conference, some good things, some optimistic things, some things that kind of caught my attention and our attention and uh, – these are some of the things that I kind of want to take a second and just dive into a few of the things. First of all, as far as his role as head coach, there's a lot of questions out there. Would his role change? Would you know his decision-making change as far as how much influence he has in the draft? And you know things that maybe weren't a part of his role before or were a part of his role before changing. And I think he made pretty clear in this press conference that his role was going to stay the same. Very, very clear that his role was going to stay the same here. He he knows that he is he was on the hot seat. He knows this is something that he has to look at moving forward to to make sure that he he doesn't stay on this path that he was on. Right. You know, this is basically his chance to prove himself. You know, the deal when you look at it, he's. Under contract through 2022. So a it lot really wasn't more so an extension. It was rewriting of his contract. It, it was. And so when you look at it, that's one of those things that you, you look and you say, what is the purpose? And I think the purpose is to really give him a chance to develop Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Because his first move, you talked about it, mm-hmm. huge with Greg Roman becoming the O coordinator. Right. Yeah, I mean, he said in the press conference that that decision, that change was on him. It was his decision. Uh, he wanted to game plan a game plan that started with the running game. And internally, there wasn't a better option than Greg Roman when you come around. An offense that's going to be built specifically around the game, the run game, I mean, that's what Greg Roman is known for. He felt Roman was the best fit for the role. Now, that does bring to question – um, you know, who's going to coordinate the passing game, who's going to help develop Lamar as a passer. And the Ravens did make an announcement today that they did hire 
their assistant head coach, quarterback coach, a uh, guy that's had a lot of experience, has had some experience with John Harbaugh in the past in his days in Philadelphia. Guy, he's been around the league for, for many, many years. He's worked in Kansas City uh, with you know the Chiefs and Andy Reid and his offense there. So they, they bring in a guy that's got the experience there. I don't know how experienced he is working with mobile quarterbacks. You know, I don't know enough about the guy. So that still either, remains yeah. to be seen. But that was definitely a role that they needed to get filled. They made that announcement today, so that role that role is now filled. I, I you know, I think overall. We talked about this before. I don't think there was a better option out there to replace Harbaugh, so I'm happy with it. Um, I'm content with it and content knowing that they didn't, you know, they do have an opt-out after year three. So I don't see it as being too much of a commitment. I see it right. being, like you said, more of a let's see what happens over the course of the next year or two, see how this development works between, you know, Lamar, the offensive coordinator, and John. And if things are moving in the right direction, then reevaluate things after three years. Yeah, I th like, that's exactly what I said. I, th I think it's something that it's giving him a chance. You, you have some success at the end of the season that you can't ignore. Right. If you are the, the Ravens front office staff, DaCosta, um, if your ownership, it, it is something that you are looking at saying, okay, we asked you to make adjustments, and you did. Right. And you made successful adjustments. So you can't ignore that. You also can't ignore what he has done in the past with a above-average quarterback because that's really what Joe is. Joe is an above-average quarterback. I'm not saying he's elite by any means, but what John has done with the weapons that, that Joe has really had, he's had some at times. He hasn't had some at times, but consistently they have gotten to the playoffs when they've had all the, the right pieces in play. So now... I think they're looking and saying they have some of the right pieces in play. They go out through the draft. They're going to pick a few more. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. Right. And then they also are going to look and say, okay, we're getting a new schema in here. Now, let's, let's remember, this is now what? Is this the seventh coordinator in as many years? About that, yeah. So now what what is that saying with Greg Roman? What can he do? Can he bring some consistency to this offense? It, it's all going to be, you know, Really, only time is going to tell. You know, when you look at things like CJ wanting to come back, them wanting him. I know you can kind of, kind of get into that, but those are things that John's going to have a, a pretty heavy hand on if he wants these guys in there. They're and, and they're willing to take the cuts in pay as some as they may right. ask some of them to do. It's going to happen. Well, I mean, ultimately, that's what's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the salary cap, and you know. It, <laughs> I, as much as, as he said in this press conference, he, he made it clear that they want Weddle, they want Yonda, and they want CJ back. These are all guys that are obviously the big question marks, whether or not they're going to be coming back contract-wise, does it work, that kind of thing. And I, it just kind of listening to what he had to say in the press conference, that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. It's They want them back, but it's going to have to be at the right price. They're not going to mortgage the future and – you offer can't. these ridiculous deals, right? And we've talked about that. As much as I want to see C.J. Mosley back here, and I think that we, you know, generally speaking, the fan base gives him a lot of gaff for for reasons that really they shouldn't, and, and we're we're all guilty of it at times. You know, we do give him, you know, crap for his ability to cover, but to many of other people's points out there, and to our point at, at times, how many middle linebackers out there really do cover that well? And you know. 
I, I get it. It's a glaring issue, but I think you can address that issue on the back end. We talked about that, and there's some targets in the draft that you know could help with that, and we'll get into that here in a couple of minutes. But what I liked about his comments was, yes, we want these guys. We want them back as Ravens, but it's going to have to be – it's going to have to make sense financially. It's got to be at the right price tag. You can't you – can't, like you said, you can't mortgage and leverage your future, and that's something that – historically they have made some potential mistakes as some may say with leveraging some of the future uh, in order to to make some of these contracts happen and that's something that you can't afford to do right. god you cannot take a page out of the Orioles book you know <laughs> with, with that no. so you have to look in that in that sense to be able to do that so the the one thing that that I know you brought up was his comments on the QB situation yeah i i, I thought which was Pretty, he made pretty clear that he wants a backup quarterback with similar traits to Lamar, meaning a mobile quarterback. And we obviously had one on the roster this past, you know, this past season with RG3. And RG3, albeit would be a very good fit, I think, for this offense, I think somebody out there may give, may give him a shot at starting. So I don't necessarily think that he would be back. Harbaugh did bring up some of the rumors out there about Tyrod Taylor. Didn't go into depth in or anything, but he recognized that that was a name out there. And obviously, we have the firsthand experience with Tyrod. Um, I, what I liked about the comments is exactly what I didn't like about last year. Is you had to have basically two totally different offensive game plans stored into the offense because... Joe's ran offense and Lamar's ran offense were two totally different offenses <laughs> altogether. And you're asking, you know, rookie offensive linemen and, and, and just you're asking your team to be able to change on the fly. If, if forbid Joe Flacco gets hurt, you have to be able to switch on a dime to a run first RPO style offense with Lamar Jackson. And I get it. These are pros. These are, you know, the best in the business. But at the end of the day, it's asking a lot for an offensive line. It's asking a lot for an offense. And these offenses weren't built. These offenses aren't built the same. You don't right. have the same type of offensive lineman. You don't have the same type of wide receivers for a pocket-style quarterback versus an RPO-ran offense. And I think if, they, if they're smart about it and they do what Harbaugh mentioned in the, in the uh, press conference, they bring in a guy with similar attributes that they can actually build an offense around a specific style, RPO style of offense. And I think that just makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on. You have to bring a guy in that has the ability to, to play call and run plays just like you're, you're asking Lamar to do. The Tyrod Taylor, I, I like... He had his time here, and I wasn't fully impressed. I know fans forever called when Joe struggled. It was, oh, we want Tyrod, and Tyrod comes in and has a struggle, and oh, get him out, just like we anticipated would happen right. when Lamar struggled. But for me, one of the things that I, I think, if he's willing to take it, I'm offering RG3 another one year, mm. one million. All Absolutely, day long. and that's the thing is is how many opportunities is he going to have out, have out there? He's made it clear too that you know he appreciates the Ravens organization for taking a chance on him and kind of giving him his jump start back into the NFL. And I think he would absolutely come back here in a backup role if he doesn't have another opportunity elsewhere. And I don't think Tyrod would necessarily be a bad option as a backup. No, a guy that can kind of come in and again run a similar style offense. The problem is you're not going to have t 
too many available options out there that run this style of offense. So it's not like they're a dime a dozen and you've got a million and one to pick from. You got to take what's out there, and those are two very good options as backups, in my opinion. My the reason I lean towards RG three, and I think you would you would be in, in complete agreement with me. I'd be curious to see how many of our fans out there that are watching would would agree. I think RG three is simply the better option because there's already a developed relationship. Right. Period. That yeah. th- that is so invaluable when it comes to quarterbacks having a relationship. I one of the most underrated things I think in in the draft, for example, speaking of the draft, is guys that already have a relationship to to really drive together, right. so to speak. You know, I, I would love to see a, a draft where you see a top QB and then trade up for his top receiver. Right. So that would be a situation that could be could be beneficial to some team down the road because you, when you have a relationship, you got somebody you can lean on, somebody you already know, somebody you already trust. That's what I see in RG3 with the situation. All right. I agree with that take. I mean, I, like I said, I'm all for RG3 coming back here. I just think that he may have another option out there. Tyrod wouldn't be a bad option. He's got to get over the mental hurdle of being a backup quarterback. You know, I mean, he was obviously – signed by Cleveland to be the starter. That didn't work out very well in Cleveland. And didn't work out with the Bills either. They found their guy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he actually had a few decent years in Buffalo. And to his credit, he didn't have very many options. It was Buffalo. And, <laughs> it was Buffalo. He didn't have very many uh, – a very good team put, put around Sorry, him. Bills Mafia. Not saying that he can still be a starter in this league. He just got to get over that mental hurdle that he's not and accept the backup role somewhere. I just think it would be a comfortable fit for him and a comfortable fit for the Ravens. I think so, too. I, I, I agree with you completely. One of the things that, that I look at uh, when, I'm, when I'm assessing things, and we're going to get into it here in a second, is a guy's ability to fit into what we already have. We're going to get into that in a second. That brings the- up a good point. <laughs> is that what you're not going for? That's all right. So, oh, I know what you're going for. All right, hang on, <laughs> hang on. I got a mess. I, I messed up apparently. Uh, here we go. There it is. Great there transition, is. Scott. That was awesome. That's the smoothest one yet. What are you Seamless. talking about? Seamless. Seamless. Uh, all these new things. This confounded <laughs> electronics that you have me doing. Oh, uh, man. So, if you haven't noticed, uh, Scott has provided us with some new drinking mugs. Some ones that don't our, blend into the background. Yeah, right. That work better with a green screen. <laughs> Uh, so, you mean this lovely studio. <laughs> right, exactly. So our Liquor Stop Beer of the Week and what we're drinking on today is Elder Pine Brewing. They're based out of Gaithersburg, Maryland. So they're a local company, smaller company. This is their uh, Lapel de, de Vid. De Vide. Lapel de Vide. De Vide. Yeah, you got it better than I do. <laughs> I, I took, I don't know how many years of French. I stopped counting. If you're an IPA fan, this is actually a, a pretty darn good beer. It's a hazy IPA, double dry hopped with Citra and El Dorado and Simcoe, Simcoe. <laughs> fermented in their house, Saison yeast. However you say that. Saison. Saison. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's Go pick it up. Better. Go see our guy Jerry over at the liquor stop for your beer of the week. Get your 10% off. Tell him the Birdland BS has sent you. And look, for all of you that have gone up there, I appreciate you. He did let us know that you know a few of you guys have gone up there and mentioned the show, so we appreciate that. Uh, 
and good get, stuff. And they good, have they have plenty of there, plenty man. of stickers up there too as well yeah. that we've dropped off for them. But this this beer when you taste it for an IPA, you and I talked about this when mm-hmm. when, when we first poured it because they give they set us up with a growler. This is at their growler station, yeah, so you're getting awesome. this fresh you know. In, yeah, if you a have a growler, they have a, a list. I just posted something on uh, on Facebook, so go check that out. It's a list of all the beers that are available uh, on tap up there. So you take your growler up there and fill it up. Yeah, but this for an IPA. Mm-hmm. Very minimal bite. If you're if you're a, a heavy beer drinker, especially craft beers, and you drink a lot of IPAs, you know IPAs very hoppy, have a little bit of bite to them, a little bit of that citrus flavor. This when we first got it, uh, we, my wife told you she's not an IPA drinker. She looked, at, she tasted it, and was like, "This ain't bad." Right. You know, so it's it's a good beer. It's light for an IPA, but at seven point three, it'll it'll sneak up on you. Yeah, it'll sneak careful. up on you. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man. I hit that one. You did it right on, <laughs> right on cue on that one. All right, man. So let's let's talk some NFL draft. And Scott and I had got together, wanted to talk about the first round pick for the Ravens. Ravens are going to be picking twenty second this year. Hopefully, they don't trade back like they do pretty much every year. Um, we'll see what happens with their pick, but we're gonna we're gonna go with the Ravens picking at twenty two, and give you a look at. Some of the, the, the top five, we, we narrowed it down to top five targets. We didn't put this in any kind of particular order, but top five targets that we wouldn't mind seeing the Ravens look at uh, based on our, our definition of needs and what this team, it, what you should address to kind of build this team up from where they're at right now. And some of these, some of these that we're suggesting are at the 22nd pick. Some of them are steals. Yeah. Some of them are guys that we think are undervalued. Yeah, ex- exactly. And these are guys that, again, we're picking up based on need. Some of some of the needs out there aren't necessarily our view. Some of the needs out there are some other people's views too. Uh, s- some of these positions just to kind of make you all happy out there. <laughs> but let's let's uh, let's get this started, man. So our first guy, one of the guys that I've been looking at now for the past couple of weeks, had never really heard him or heard of him much and that's because he's out of Delaware so he's out of an FCS school small school but I have watched a lot of tape on this guy over the past couple of weeks and man this kid is the definition of a ball hawk he is that free safety ball hawking rangy safety that we talk about hasn't been here since the Ed Reed days Nazir Adderley, the free safety out of Delaware. He's 5'11", 200-pound senior. Slated this at this point, he was only a two-star recruit coming out of high school. Slated to be a first-round draft choice in this draft. Now, this kid, he just looking at his tape and watching him, he could climb the boards very quickly. So this kid may be gone by the time the Ravens come around to 22. So if the Ravens want this kid and are targeting this kid, they may have to go after him pretty strong. He's got elite speed, probably in about the 4-5 range, which is really, really good for a free safety. Has ability to play loose, to bait throws, a la Ed Reed, you know, kind of maybe look to one side of the field to get a quarterback to bait and throw to another side of the field and anticipate it. He, He plays very, very loose. He's got great closing speed and instincts. Very strong ability to attack and high point the ball. That's If you watch the tape on this kid, that's what I really liked about him was he was aggressive to the ball. He didn't 
he didn't always go for the big hit. He can hit, don't get me wrong. This kid can be a thumper. But he's he's more so focused on making the right play. And that's what I like about this kid. He's got a high football IQ. Can't I mean can't say enough about this kid. Strong form tackler can make that big hit like I said, but I think his first concern is making the play. Can play single high, he can play in the box and even cover in the slot so he can play all over the field. I really don't see any red flags with this kid at all. If I had to pick apart anything about him, he might be a little aggressive at times, but I mean... That's something you can work on. Yeah, that's something that just kind of comes with maturity. He's not great in man coverage, but he's, he's serviceable. But, he, but he's definitely pretty darn good. Uh, and again, he played against FCS competition, so he played at lower level college. How is that going to translate to the to the to the NFL? We'll see. But these are all things that I'm reaching at for this kid. This kid's the real deal. And if you want a ball hawking safety that we haven't had, and you want to help CJ on the back end. Nasir Adderley, that's the kid you go after. I, I'm right there with you. The guy that, that I would put a, as another potential guy is looking on the offensive line. I think we both agree the offensive line needs some consistency. Yeah. And the one guy that kind of comes to mind for me is Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. When you look at this guy, 6'5", 308 pounds. Big dude. He's a senior 2017. He's a senior this year. 2017, he was a first-team All-American. He also was a freshman all Amer- first-team All-American. When you look at him, he's played right tackle, left tackle. He's played center. He stated this week to Jordan Reed that he feels most comfortable at right tackle. The problem with that, as we all know, is we have Stanley, Brown, Hurst, all which clog up the, clog up the right tackle spot because all three of them can play. But he's versatile. He's He is versatile. I like that. So when you look at it on the depth chart, the, the fact if somebody goes down, you could throw him in. He has that ability to, to kind of plug and play if need be. He has the height. He has the length. He's got aggression on his side, but I do see that as being a potential trouble spot. And the reason that I say that is when you look at him, he he stated before the Senior Bowl that he wanted to come into the Senior Bowl and show scouts that he can finish guys. Yeah. And the, the way that I said he could finish guys, finish him, finish him. Like that was his mentality, and that's a little bit dangerous of a mentality because that's a mentality that can cause a lot more flags, especially in today's NFL where we're seeing so many flag heavies. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. But one of the things that, that I like about him is that aggression that can come out, especially from an offensive side of the ball. You ain't going to get to my quarterback, right? Especially on the blind side. That's that's a huge well, thing if you got a left handed There's no doubt that the Ravens need help at offensive line. And that guy, I, I had my eye on him as well. Very versatile. I like that he can play multiple positions on the offensive line. I'm not 100% sold on Bradley Bozeman yet at center. So we'll see how that kind of works out over the course of the offseason and next year with Bozeman. But he could plug in right at left guard and fill that hole there and really make our offensive line complete, which would set up for the Marshall Yonda retirement, which is inevitable probably in the next year or two, uh, and maybe his replacement for down the road. Right. So and not a bad target. The thing with Riser too, is some people are, are put, pushing him into a uh, mid to late second rounds, you know, really? slate, which is that. crazy. I, it's it's something as I was doing a little bit more research on it, I was like, wait a second, that's not, that's not something that I would agree on at all. No, no, he's, albeit it's not a very offensive line heavy draft, he's definitely in the top two, top three offensive lineman available in this draft. So I see him being a late first-round selection, just in my opinion. 
All right, for some of you out there, obviously the sexy pick's going to be wide receiver. It's the pick that I'm most nervous about because of the Ravens' history with wide receiver picks and development and that kind of thing. Hopefully that tide has changed now with the new wide receiver coach and new offensive game plan, that kind of thing. So Scott and I wanted to kind of give you guys a couple of guys that we'll have our eyes on from the wide receiver position, hopefully available later on. First guy I'm going to uh, tackle here, Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver out of Arizona State. He checks a lot of boxes for me. 6'3", 213 pounds, big body receiver. Big boy. Strong to the ball and can break tackles in space a la Anquan Bolden. Very similar in that sense. A little taller than Bolden, but strong body and, again, can create those missed tackle situations. So when you look at his stats, he's used to an offense that's designed to get him the ball within 10 to 12 yards, which is exactly what Lamar's going to need, some of those shorter routes off the line. He's got strong hands and catches the ball away from his body unless he feels the potential of a hit that will absorb it in his body, which is smart. Football IQ, I like that about him. He's a great red zone target. He can out-jump pretty much all defenders out there. He's a throw-it-up-and-find-a-way-to-come-down-with-it-kind-of receiver. That's what I like about him. The negatives... If there are many negatives on this kid, he's not a great route runner yet. Uh, that's something that needs some work on. Um, and he lacks some separation from faster DBs. You know, as much as we talk about him being able to use his body, kind of like a, a rebounder in basketball and, and create positioning, he's not great at creating that separation because he just doesn't have that breakaway speed. But I like Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. I like what I saw. Yeah, I, I don't I don't doubt that at all. But the other guy that, that's – High on, on several people's list here is Hollywood Brown, <laughs> the cousin to Antonio Brown out of Oklahoma, Marquise Brown. The kid is in ESPN, lists him at 5'10", 168. So he's a smaller-bodied wide receiver, a lot like Willie Sneed, but has the ability to make guys miss, right. get the extra yards. Very, very similar to, to Willie Sneed in that sense. Plays out of the slot quite a bit. When you look at him, 75 receptions for 1,300 yards and 10 TDs this year. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty darn good. Especially in Oklahoma, where there is a lot of talent. There is a plethora of talent in Oklahoma. Yeah. So when you look pretty at Pretty good him, quarterback throwing him the ball, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> no doubt at all. Uh, but when you look at him, his hands need a little bit of work. That's something that could be a downplay. We don't need another Brashad Perryman. So if you think he's moldable and workable in that sense, I don't. I, I'd say go for it, especially at, at, at 22. Maybe even get him. You know, he's another guy that some guys are predicting, or some guys and girls are predicting him to be a second round, maybe even a early third round pick. Really, which, I don't see him falling that far. The, the the knock is the hands and the blocking. His his blocking, especially in a Lamar scheme style offense, you're gonna need. He's the gotta blocking. put some size on. 168 pounds. He's a little dude. He's gonna get pushed over. But you know what? If you if you have the tutelage, I mean, Willis needs a small guy, but you know, I ain't screwing. Yeah, he's not Willis 168 Steve. pounds small. Though. <laughs> no, he's, he's not. A little dude. I think he's. I think I think Sneed's like 190. So yeah, he de he definitely has to put on a little bit of weight and a little bit of muscle. So that's his one knock. He is not going to be a plug and play wide receiver. He is gonna need time to develop. I think a year or two. But I think he is a serviceable guy that if you're willing to work with him, if you see his – I'd like – this is one guy I would like to see at the, at the combine. I'd like to see him catch a few balls and watch his hands. If right. he has some drops in the combine, he's going to drop stock even more. But if he if he's able to show that he's working on his hands and able to, to, to make some soft – Our guy Sonny here catches, on Facebook says he goes top 12. 
Really? Yeah. Well, Marquise Brown. I'm surprised yeah. on that. I yeah. really so am. He's done, he doesn't think he's going to make it to 22, goes in the top 12. We'll see what happens. Another guy in another position of need, running back. And, yes, we got Gus Edwards, but we don't have that game-changing style running back. We don't have that very versatile running back that can do it all. And a kid that I've seen, I've kept my eye on for a while now, and a guy that I've been really excited about, Darrell Henderson, the running back out of Memphis. This kid, 5'9", 200-pound junior, a three-star recruit out of high school. Amazing production if you go look at his numbers with really low volume of work in college. Didn't really have a ton of carries. So he's got a fresh body, which I like that. He wasn't abused in college where he's got a lot of wear and tear on the on the body. 8.2 yards per carry for his career. For his career. It's huge. Great balance. He can twist and cut, pinball, or leap around contact, keep his momentum, and keep the legs running at a high rate of speed, which I like. And balance is huge when it comes to running back. He sees the pending contact and gets pad level down to deliver blows in the open field to add some contact balance as well. So it doesn't seem like he gets thrown off very easily, which is great. He's a very elusive type of back. One of the more slippery rushers in the entire class, in my opinion. Runs with great wiggle and suddenness, surreal lateral quickness and start-stop ability to break pursuit. Has a strong sense of defensive flow and a feel for where his open space is. Can wiggle out of tight quarters. He's got decent hands as a receiver. But given the ball out in space, he has the quickness and run-after-the-catch type of skills that reflect almost like a, a kick returner in, in some sense, is his ability to make moves in space. Negatives, pass blocking. Again, smaller guy. Um, not real strong as far as that concerned. Not sure he could be an every-down back, uh, but how many backs these days really are that every-down type of back? It takes such abuse at, at some points, especially a guy like him who's, who seems to be more of a north-south type runner right. uh, than an east-west guy, which you and I have talked about. I don't know how many times that that's something that needs to continue in the NFL, this east-west stuff. But, yeah, I, I think you're right on with it, with that with that pick as well. Great, great speed. I mean, this, this kid is that game-breaker type of running back. The, the, the guy's just got elite speed. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be high on him if he's available late in the first round. He'd be a guy that like a Ray Rice, a guy that we haven't had since Ray Rice who can do everything. He can catch the ball out of the backfield in space, and he can make plays between the tackles. Quick question. We can, I just want a yes or no. We're going to get – this is a topic we're going to cover next, next week's show. Yeah. If you're Eric DaCosta, put yourself in his shoes for a second, do you trade up in this draft? It depends. I mean, it depends on who's available and how – I mean, how high you're talking. I mean, are you talking – trying to trade up to like a top 10 pick and mortgage the rest of your draft i'll, I'll say so, no. i'll say somewhere between trade up to 10 to 15 i think that's too cost heavy i the the amount that you'd have to give up and right now the ravens don't even have a second don't round pick this much. draft yeah i just I, I if okay simple answer if you're talking 10 to 15 no okay 10 to 15 no all right make sure you guys uh you guys chime in on uh Facebook and YouTube, hit us up. Let us know what you guys think because we're going to talk about that next week. There are plenty of other guys out there in this draft for the Ravens to keep an eye on. These are just five guys that kind of tackle a few positions of need and some guys that we like personally and wouldn't mind seeing in the purple and black come next year. But we'll see what happens. We'll see. Super Hi, Bowl. Super Bowl 53. It's, it's week. It's the Super Bowl week, baby. That's right. That's right. 
And you got De- what is it? I think it's Friday. Deion or is it Thursday night? The Deion Sanders has his premiere thirty for thirty, where he's already. Did you see this? He yeah, already, yeah, he already bought preview. his sons the mink coats. Yeah. And, oh, it's crazy craziness <laughs> around Super Bowl week. Yeah, let's recap our picks, man. You and right. I, we went over this last week. We're just gonna kind of recap, and then we're gonna talk about some things that you did a little research here to find some crazy interesting <laughs> yeah, facts. Some very interesting facts that I, I'd love to hear some of the takes of some, some of our fans on. But my Super Bowl pick was way off from you and Ryan. Uh, I'll just come out. I'm the only one that picked the damn Rams. I said 35-28 Rams. I think he takes down Brady uh, on this. I did find it interesting. Didn't put it in our two-minute warning this week because I figured I'd bring it up. Did you see that Devin McCourty said he may retire if they win the Super Bowl? I did not see that. Yeah, he reti- it was announced today, in a, I guess, in an interview or one of the comments that he had with somebody uh, down at the Super Bowl in, in Atlanta and said that if they win, he's he's going to seriously consider retirement. Well, well, good on him. I mean, go out on top. Again, it's, it's that role. If you if you feel like you've set yourself up good financially and you, you know, you've reached the pinnacle by winning the Super Bowl now multiple times, if you win it again this year, how much more are you going to accomplish in the league? Save your, your health, you know, the, yeah. the mental health of it too. You know, CTE and all that stuff being issues and bigger issues nowadays. I, I, I don't blame him. If you're set financially, you've you've invested well and you're smart in that sense. Why not? More power to you, man. Yeah, more, more power, power to, to you. you. But yeah, like you said, uh, as far as predictions go, <laughs> I told you last week, and I'm still sticking to it. I'm going the reverse psychology pick. I did not pick the <laughs> Patriots at all in this playoffs run, and every time I've picked against them, they've proven me wrong. They've proven me they're still the Patriots. They're still here. They're uh, still here. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that whole chant ugh, makes me sick. So I'm <laughs> going to vomit. pick the Patriots yeah. in hopes that the Rams win. So I got the Patriots winning this game 27-24. Either way, I still think this is going to be a good football game. I think you had a little too many of these. <laughs> <laughs> I may have. I may have. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I see the, uh, the Patriots winning this game 27-24. Again, Bilichek and Brady – I think they get it done one more time. They how t- many is this for them now? This would be six as a pair. Well, how, how many how many Super Bowls have they been to now? Nine. Yeah. So Brady and Belichick. This will be their. So here's one of the interesting facts that I found. This will be their ninth Super Bowl together, going for win number six as a pair, which would be the first head coach player combo to have six titles since Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Whoa. I mean, that's ah. regarded, obviously, the GOAT in basketball, as far as Michael Jordan's concerned. In Some my opinion, that, I don't even think it's debatable. Uh, and Tom, and Tom ba- Brady, you know, a, a lot of people say that he's the GOAT as far as the greatest <laughs> quarterback of all time. So. Jared on, uh, on Twitter says it's wild to think Brady has four more years left, according to him. Yeah, I mean, he said he wants to play till he's 45. He said that there was 0% chance that he would retire after this year, regardless, win or lose. So expect Brady and Belichick and the Patriots to be right back in the thick of things next year. I think that stays that way until he decides to hang it up. I, I honestly like I just is I a, don't a, see his game deteriorating enough. Has it taken a little bit of a step back statistically? Yes, but I don't think he's deteriorated enough that he can't compete at a very high level. But obviously. when you when you surround him with offensive weapons, a, a strong offensive line that doesn't make him scramble as much. You can definitely extend his life and his career as far right. as that goes in the NFL. Um, I mean, it, it's one of those things that you, you just can't deny it. Especially he, he look. I hate as much as I hate to say it. He's he's the goat quarterback yeah. of all time. The other quarterback in this game, Jared Goff, right? So it took Jared Goff only three years 
in the NFL to reach the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. It's the fastest ever by a number one overall draft pick to make it to the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. It's impressive. Ever. It's a, that just shows you the talent that he has. And I think he's been overshadowed this year a little bit by Mahomes. Yeah, but I agree with that. It's his talent is pure. I think he's he's got a great running game. I if he's in a different spot that doesn't have a guy like Curly in that running game, right? Maybe he's not as successful. Maybe it does take him a little bit longer. But all the pieces are in the right place right now, and he is setting himself up for a long career well, if he continues this. He he had the physical tools coming out of college. I mean, the kid had the the gifts, the saving grace, and I think the godsend for Jared Goff has been Sean McVay. And his his ability to run an offense and and the guy that maybe the only guy that may be smarter than Billichek when it comes to football. I watched this like it was like a three minute clip. If you haven't seen this yet, go check it out. It was Peyton Manning. It's like a new series I think they're doing on ESPN or one of the networks out there, uh, and I think it's called In the Mind. I think it's Fox, if I remember correctly. And I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where he's like describing things that he's seeing, right? And, getting- and, and basically, he broke down one of the plays uh, in New Orleans against the Saints. And it showed how McVeigh and Goff kind of communicate to each other right up until the snap of the ball. And Goff, even in the loud environment in New Orleans, how he communicated that to his offensive linemen, how he communicated that to his wide receivers. It was just like this this beautiful workings of, of just how do you overcome certain things. And, and, and McVeigh is just a very smart guy. And he's got things in place that work for him and work for that team. And I just think Jared Goff would not be the quarterback he is without Sean McVay. I'll, I'll, I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that, especially with his ability to play call. We've talked about it last week, and I'm sure we'll, we're going to talk about it next week once we see what happens with the Super Bowl. But but looking guy, at guys a genius. Looking at the production through the playoffs of these two quarterbacks, one stat that kind of caught me off guard and I didn't realize – Brady and Goff have combined for three total passing touchdowns in this year's postseason combined. That's the fewest combined by the starting quarterbacks of a Super Bowl since 1971. Like, think about the day and age that we're in and think about how the NFL offenses are built, right? And, and, and just how the, the game has changed, how rules have changed to make it more of a pass-happy offense and a pass happy league and these are two of the more legitimate passing offenses and they've only combined for three total three total passing touchdowns combined it's impressive it just shows you the the level of defense that they've been playing against yeah Uh, it, it just shows you that when you look at that and seeing that number i mean with with peyton and newton being the next closest right i you can't you can't you know, ignore that at all. Yeah, I mean, they, they, Brady and Goff had the largest age gap of any starting quarterbacks in Super Bowl history. 17 years and 72 days between the two. To your point, Peyton Manning and Cam Newton were the, were the oldest up until this year with 13 years and 48 days. That's four years more of an age gap. Brady could be Goff's father. That's scary. Like that's that's how crazy that is. Seventeen years. You could be golf's father. I could be. Maybe I am. I cash <laughs> in on that. <laughs> but I ultimately in this game, getting back to the game itself, um, I really do think 
the Patriots have the upper hand in this game. As much as I don't want to pick the Patriots, I am picking them partly because of the, the psychology behind it. Other part of it, if you just look at the experience on this roster. You were talking about this before we went on. The Patriots have 38 players on their current roster right now who have played in a Super Bowl. The Rams, four. Four. It's, and experience when you talk Super Bowl and the whole just everything that goes into the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl week and all the media interactions and the and the parties that go on. Like if you've got a veteran laden team who've been there, have done that, they can tell some of these younger guys, all right. You're going to get caught up in all the hoopla that is the Super Bowl. You're going to get caught up in this. You're going to get caught up in that. We're here to win a football game. You need to focus. Focus. Keep yourself away from the distractions. Keep yourself away from the 3 a.m. drinking. Keep yourself away from this, that, and the other thing. And I think that goes a long way in preparation for a Super Bowl, especially for a team like the Rams, who have never been there before, only got four guys that have ever been there before, and are probably enjoying every minute of it that they can. Yeah, they, they're the experience, like you said, it plays a, it plays a huge factor. You can't ignore it. You can't you can't get rid of it, and you can't say that it's it's not going to play a factor in this game because there are the young guys are likely going to get a little distracted. So, you know, some people chiming in saying Super Bowl experience is overrated. Uh, it was Mark on YouTube. It, look, I can't you can't say that it's overrated. The more experience you have, the more you've seen, the better you get, and that's why Brady and Belichick and this this Patriots offense of this Patriots team they come together because they all know what the goal is they all know look there's all this stuff going on you come in you do your pressures you get you get the right. work that's what it is and I'm not saying it's going to ultimately be the difference in this game but it will be a factor in this game and if you don't think that that's part of it because I mean honestly you're not just going from one week of football right into the next week of football. You're thrown off with this bye week in between. And again, all the hoopla that you're not used to on a week-to-week basis and all the distractions that come for, come around the Super Bowl and the parties and, again, the attention that's going to be there, the celebrities that are going to be there in town, things that aren't there on a normal week-to-week basis that could affect and could play a part in this game. Agreed. All right, Scott, let's talk some Terps. Well, let's do our social media shout-out real quick. Okay, we've yeah. got to chime in with everybody kind of chiming in. We had Steve, Jim, uh, Mark, Engraven, our boy Engraven Vids on, on YouTube. Uh, it's Icy also on YouTube who asked uh, Brady or Dak. Uh, Brady, I'm just saying, sorry. Uh, we've had plenty of people chiming in. A little shout-out real quick. Uh, very, very close friend of the show, yeah. uh, Ryan S., was on, he's actually at the ER right now with his wife. Uh, car's probably totaled in oh, an accident. We're really sorry, sorry to hear that, man. Thoughts are with you. He yeah. says he says he failed at his job because he missed the Terps game. Also, oh, get out of here. Get out of here and man, shut got, up, man. Yeah, bigger things to worry about. Hope your wife's okay. Hope everybody's okay. Yeah, hope everybody's okay there. Uh, plenty of people chiming in. We've got Bryce. We've got Sharon Sherry. Yeah. Uh, our boy Sonny chiming in. Uh, let's Ryan see Hewitt. Here. Eric Keener. Appreciate you tuning in. Sonny, as always. Maria Lee. Nikki, yeah, Sarah, James, as always, Lee, appreciate you tuning in, man. Trisha, Mark, Deanna, uh, let's see, Carrie, and then on, we've got Son- Sonny. You were all over the place, dude. You were on like every <laughs> platform I've got on in front of me. Uh, we have uh, Jared, who's been chiming in plenty uh, on on Periscope and Twitter. We've got Brown Derek forty nine, Seldcood. 
M. Butyl 25. Uh, let's see here. Douchey Doug. Uh, Douchey Doug. <laughs> Douchey Doug. Wow. Uh, which Douchey Doug uh, just. Doug, re- Doug, Doug, Doug. Douchey Doug replayed uh, Jared's comment. Says, are the Patriots America's team red, white, and blue? Uh, eh, yeah. Nah, not really. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into some Terps talk. Yeah, let's do it. Last week, they were number 13. In the AP. We yeah. talked about it. I know you don't like the AP. You're not a big fan of the AP. Just not a big fan of, of rankings in general. In well, basketball. College basketball, I'm just not a big fan of, of rankings. That's all the tournament is anyway. Nah, the tournament's not based on rankings. It's, if it was you. just based on rankings, the top 25 teams would be the top 25 teams in the tournament. Poke the bear. It's poke just the not, bear. Nah, poke it's the not bear. about poking the bear. I'm just saying, I, I just think rankings are overrated in college basketball, my opinion. I it's Look, I... I think there is some value to it. I think it is. It gives you an idea of where, you know, for the average fan of where your team. There's so many. There's so many teams in college basketball. It's not like you know. It's not like the NFL or the uh, you know MLB or NHL where there's a there's you no know, thirty teams. Right. There are hundreds of teams. Yeah. And so to to know where a team kind of stands and if they if they're good, you know, per the AP polls, most of the time. If they're in the top twenty-five, it's a team you better be watching. You oh be yeah, no, at. there's no doubt about that for sure. But this was a tough week for the Terps, man. They uh, they obviously had the loss to Michigan State that we talked about last week, which was a loss that you know again when you go down the schedule and you start putting wins and losses, it's kind of try to figure out where a team's going to be at the end of the year. That I had that as a loss, Michigan State on the road, but the, you know the Terps were playing really good. They had won seven straight games, and I thought, man. They got a shot, but they they fell flat on their faces in that game, did not look like the same team. And we talked last week, one thing that I did not want to see the Terps do was have a letdown from that game. Uh, Let it get into their psyche and spiral out of control. You got two what should be easier games coming up against Illinois and Northwestern, two Big Ten games, so they're games that you want to win. They're games that are important to you as far as conference schedules and conference wins and your placement in the Big Ten. So you didn't want to see them use this as a speed bump and trip up here against these two teams. But unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Illinois, man. Yeah, on the road in Illinois. Illinois came in at 5-14 and 14 on the year. It was a rough game, man. They, they just looked – the Terps looked sluggish in this game, unprepared. And I put this loss mainly on Mark Turgeon, not having your squad ready to go and prepared. They just – they the, looked sloppy in this that's game. That's a consistent thing we've seen so far in the losses this year is that they have just not looked well put together. Like you said, unprepared. Slow on the rebounds, especially yeah. you know, even with Bruno. Bruno looked a little bit sluggish. He looked a little bit worn. And as you get later into the season, you've got what I think it's seven games in the month of February, mm-hmm. uh, eight to end the season to end of the, the quote unquote regular season uh, with tonight's game. I don't know if there was. I have to double check. There might be one early in March, maybe two. But when you look at it overall. These guys are starting to get worn down, and this is a young team. They've got to develop stamina. Now, guys like Bruno should be able to to go a little bit more right. and, and stay hard in the paint on a consistent basis, but it's something that we've just struggled. I mean, the, what, it was, what, how many turnovers were, were there? That's, that, that, that was going to be my next point. The, the big telling factor in this game, I, t- I talked about it being sloppy. As sloppy as the, the Terps were, Illinois had one turnover in the entire first half of this game. They had nine for the for the entire game, but they only had one in the first quarter alone. 
crazy. Or first half, sorry. First half is crazy. Terps had 21 turnovers in this game, a season high by far. That's the telling story here. And that's what I mean by it was just a sloppy, sloppy basketball game. A guy that I want to see get more involved in the offense, Jalen Smith. He came out the gates great. He shot, He scored the first seven points for the Terps. But he only scored four more the rest of the way. We and it wasn't like they were doing – like they Illinois isn't a very big basketball team. This game should have been dominated in the post between Bruno and Jalen Smith. And you first when they first came out of the gates, I thought that's the way that the game plan was drawn up. But it was like after that, after those first seven points, they completely abandoned that altogether. And again, the Terps just couldn't shoot well, couldn't get open shots, looked sluggish. It was just a, it was just a bad game. To your point with Jalen, we said this last week, he needs to be more aggressive. We see this with him week in and week out, that it's, it's as if he's becoming less and less aggressive. It's as, I'm not saying that Turgeon is, is the one telling him to be less aggressive, but we, we've talked about it. This is one of those things that if they are going to be successful inside-out basketball and the games that they lose is the games that they're really completely failing in that sense and that they're not completing the fundamentals in getting the ball inside out, making smart shots, not just tossing the ball up anytime that they can, you know, and, and being able to really truly box out. To your point, Illinois is not a large team. No, there should have been no problem team. for Bruno and Jalen to get in there and get those rebounds, and it just didn't happen. Well, they turned that around tonight. So they took the loss, and this is what we just said. We didn't want to see this team kind of spiral out of control here. They took this loss, and they, they chalked it up as an L. They had a bad stretch of two games there, but they turned it around tonight against Northwestern, and they did exactly that. They dominated this game down low with Bruno and Jalen Smith. Bruno had 22 points and 10 boards in this game, 9 of 16 shooting. Jalen Smith, 14 points and 9 boards, 5 of 10 shooting. The two top scorers for the Terps in this game, that's winning basketball. And what happens? The Terps win this game 70-52. to in a game, again, that they should have won, and they, han they handled business. 46% from the field, uh, 7 of 16, so 43% from the three-point line. Right. And when you look at it, it, it's one of those things that the rebound game, out, they out-rebounded uh, Northwestern 44 to 28 in this game. This was not a story of offensive rebounds by any means. 6 to 10. Yeah. And they, they, not they very got many second-chance opportunities. No, but the defensive rebounds, 34 for Maryland, 22 for Northwestern. Right. The defenses kind of showed up a little bit more in this game, uh, but not not the offensive rebounds. That's what we, it just goes to that further point that we're seeing a little bit less rebounds out of Bruno and out of Jalen down low on the offensive side of the ball. So while it is a win, we're still it's still that same trend which you don't like going into you know looking to go into next month where where you're going to be facing a lot more ranked teams you know they the Maryland fell to 21 this week right so when you look at it we're getting ready to go up, up against uh Wisconsin which is 24 Nebraska was in it earlier uh then we go home and we have Purdue again then you have Michigan who's number five right. so those are tough games right there then you got to face Iowa Ohio State and Penn State before you look to, to round it out in uh, in March with those last two games before the, the tournament. Right. This is a tough stretch. 
This is not a place for them to get winded, as we've been seeing them do. Yeah, like that's that's kind of been one of the the things that I've noticed. I get it, I didn't get a chance to watch much of the Northwestern game today, so I didn't get to see how it how it worked towards the end of the first half there. But in the Michigan State game and in the Illinois game, it was like once they get down to about the five or six minute mark left in the first half, you could just tell that the team was was winded, all their energy was gone. Uh, so they, they, it, I think that kind of goes back to what we saw early on in the year was the rotation. They weren't rotating players enough and they weren't getting some of their guys some rest and they had made that transition and they were playing better basketball when they were going with this, this more of a rotational type uh, type offense. And they got away from that in these two games and they expected some of their, their better talent. I mean, there's no denying what Bruno Fernando can do. There's no denying what Anthony Cowan can do. These guys deserve the minutes, but at the end of the day, if it's hurting your team because these guys are tired, you've got to get other people involved. You've got to recognize it. And, you know, uh, I think it was on Facebook. Bryce brings up points. says Mark has been using the age of his team as an excuse for their mental mistakes all year long. And that's kind of one of the things that I brought up to you. I said, you know, is this really a, a result of his inability to really develop talent as well as play call? He can go – guy can crew like a mofo. Yeah. But his ability to develop the talent and play call, it, he, he really needs a, a bench guy that, that's a strong play caller. That has always been Turgeon's downfall throughout his entire career. He's not a, a very good he's X's not, and yeah, O's type coach. And, you know, you take the good with the bad. You know, Ryan and I actually were talking the other day just about, like, the, the Gary Williams era and the, the, the press defense and things like that that I miss about, about Gary Williams and his style of coaching. And, you know, I think we're a little bit spoiled as Maryland fans having Gary Williams here for so long. I mean, he was – he was a great X's and O's coach. He wasn't a great recruiter. He got the best out of some of you know people's leftovers, some of the scrap prospects, some of the guys that none of the other bigger schools wanted to give a chance. But he saw something in. He saw their coachability, and he coached them up and got the best out of those guys. Turgeon's not that guy at all. you got to surround Turgeon with as much talent as you can, and that is his strong suit is his ability to bring guys in. So, so I know this is a kind of a crazy off the wall question. Do you bring in a, basically a co head coach that can do the X's and O's, and he's responsible for the recruiting? Do you think that's something that's doable in the NCAA? Well, they, do, they do have other coaches on their staff. It's not just I, Turgeon I, uh, that help with. That I'm kind talking of stuff. co strong head coach. I, Turgeon would have to be on board with that. Turgeon would. I mean, even if Maryland were to let go Turgeon based on performance he will find another job elsewhere, and it won't take him long because his of his ability to recruit. To recruit. Uh, and a lot of schools look at it, especially in this day and age of one and done type thing, that, hey, if we can get some of the top talent in the nation here because this guy's a good recruiter, the rest will kind of take care of itself. He doesn't need to be a great X and O's coach, but they don't see the day-to-day -day stuff like we see as Maryland fans and some of the, some of the talent that's gone through here and not been able to – get the best out of them. I mean, look at what Jake Lehman and Kevin Huter are doing in the NBA right now. Like, right. these were guys that left school early, and when they left, I thought, eh, You still have more time to develop. Yeah, you still have more time to develop. I don't know how good they're going to be in the NBA. Well, they're starting to flourish under good coaches. And 
under maturity as well, you know, becoming a little older and more experienced. And the NBA is a different game than college basketball. I get all that. But at the end of the day, that is Turgeon and always will be Turgeon's downfall is his ability to Yeah, coach. he needs a solid bench coach that can help him out with uh, the X's and O's. You know, maybe somebody uh, – we'll, we'll talk about this later in the two-minute warning. Maybe somebody with some NBA experience might help. Right. <laughs> uh, let's let's kind of transition here for a second to, to Terps football. We've had some – some news coming out of the Terps football camp. Yeah. Uh, some coaching vacancies that were filled this week. Yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of roles that uh, Loxley was looking to fill to fill out his staff. He has done so. Uh, maybe not like some of the names that we had all heard and some of the all names that we had hoped for. But one thing that has stood out to me, we talk about recruitment. One of the big things that stood out to me about some of the guys that he's brought in is some of these guys are great recruiters. And that just falls in line with – Loxley. I mean, that's that's what Loxley is known for is his, his ability to recruit, especially in the DMV area. To that point, we're starting to see some of these recruits now starting to make their their commitments. And we're starting to see some of the transfers come through uh, through the transfer portal to to the Terps. So right. we're finally now starting to see Loxley kind of put his thumbprint on this, you know, on this uh, college, on this university. And my, I'm liking what I see so far. My only thing, I like it. Like like you said, he he pulled in a bunch of guys that have a lot of strong recruiting ability. Mm-hmm. Let's just make sure this also doesn't turn into a football version of Turgeon. No, I agree with that's that. That's my only. That's my only hiccup. Let's make sure we're still calling X and O's, X's and O's. Let's make sure we're looking at the fundamentals and doing it that way. Uh, you know, when you look at the recruits that commit, out of I, I, when I when you and I looked at the guys that we're looking at, we looked at guys that are top 1,000 nationally ranked prospects. Right. Uh, so when we looked at these guys, we really analyzed them for what for what they have. Tavon Land, or yeah, T- Tavion Land, is out of Ocean Lakes, Virginia Beach, Virginia. He's ranked number four hundred thirty two nationally. This kid's five eight one sixty six. He is the number forty five cornerback in the country. Not bad no. for a close guy. It's closer to home for him, right up the road, Virginia Beach. You know to to Maryland is not going to be that far of a drive. Family can go. He can go home when he needs to or wants to. Not a bad pickup for a guy that you're wanting to get committed, and he commits this week in in making sure that he wants to to be a Terp. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, these are some of the recruits that they're not the, the, the top tier cream of the crop type guys, but these are guys that are in your own backyard, guys that, again, you know, Loxley coming in kind of, late into the process and you know obviously he still had his commitment to Alabama up until just a couple weeks ago kind of getting you know some of these guys that no ordinarily probably would have fallen through the cracks if if Loxley and some of these guys aren't here another kid Jordan Houston 5'9 180 pound uh kid out of uh Flint High School in Oakton Virginia He's a he's a H back. He's a halfback. He's the number six halfback in the country, ranked 656 nationally overall as a prospect. Kid that uh, will fall in line with kind of what we've seen with the Terps over the past few years. Another good running back to add to the core. You know, obviously we're going to have to replace Ty Johnson as he's going on to the NFL, and he's he's actually done really good uh, with his. Uh, senior bowl and, and everything right. and his, his, his work that he's done in the off season with kind of helping his draft status. Um, I'm excited about this kid, Houston. Then uh, you saw a kid 
kind of rangy, lanky kid <laughs> out of Georgia. Yeah, this kid, this kid is out of Langston Hughes in Fairburn, uh, Georgia. 6'2", 190 pounds. Trayron Collins, he's ranked 786 nationally, and he's the number 65 safety in the country. But I tell you what, he has a solid build. When I say that, he is he's a guy that you can have be a rangy a rangy safety. Uh maybe not maybe more of a strong safety than a free safety because he can he can stay a little bit low. He, he's got some good speed to him from what I've seen and from what I've heard. But from what I've been reading, this kid's undervalued. Yeah. He is undervalued at 786 nationally and number 65 in the country. So we'll, only only time is going to tell when he comes on and what the, what Loxley and this this crew can do with this kid. But that was one that I thought was when I when I was reading through and, and kind of looking, I was like, everything I'm reading is saying this kid's got a high ceiling, right? High ceiling. He's got the build. He's got the the football IQ, right? At a young age, right? So you can only imagine what he's going to do as he gets some growth in Maryland. Another kid. Now this one was probably the the biggest news of the weekend. This came in on Saturday, his commitment. This kid, 6'3", 270 pound, strong side defensive end is the number 5 ranked strong side defensive end. You want me to pronounce the, the name? <laughs> He's 60th overall. So this was definitely the biggest get for the team. Sam, I'm going to try it. Okinuyo? Okino, I'll give it to you. All I'll right, give it to we'll you. We'll go with it. <laughs> Get out of Virginia, Minnesota. Uh, committed again. Committed to the Terps on Saturday. This is this was their top recruit. Get a uh, guy that you know can play defensive end. He could even play a little outside linebacker. Got good speed. Can get to the quarterback. He's disruptive. Big big kid. I mean, you figure this kid's what seventeen years old. 6'3", 270 pounds. He's only going to grow from there. Big boy. That's a big big man. Uh, so I'm excited about that get. And then there was a couple of guys that uh, I think you had mentioned that had signed some letters of intent to the school. Yeah, Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah Hazel, 6'1", 190 pounds out of Dr. Henry Wise in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. So, again, in the DMV right. area. This is what we talked about with Loxley. He's got a letter of intent. He's ranked number 225 in the country. He is the number 33 wide receiver to have a number under a number 50 wide receiver signing a letter of intent. Is a step forward. You ne- you now need to get him to commit because having a top wide receiver, a top fifty wide receiver in the country, come into this program, it's something they continue to need. You have a guy like Piggy, who we've seen in in crazy scenarios, be able right. to throw the ball really well, and that's what you need to start to give whatever quarterback you're going to use. Most likely, Piggy at this point, you need to give him some weapons. And this kid, if you can get him fully committed could be a great add for this Maryland team. Yeah, and another kid that they picked up a letter of intent from, a local kid, kid right up the street from us, really. We're up here right in Hartford down the County. Street. Deontay Banks, a 6'1", 190-pound cornerback. He's ranked as the number 77 cornerback in the country out of Edgewood High School. If you if you are near us and you know Deontay, give him our number. We'd love to have him on. Yeah, send us a message. Let us know. We'd love to have him on the show for sure. That's kind of cool, you know. Again, this is this just goes back to some of the recruits in your backyard. These are the guys that normally were skipping town and not, you know, not being paid enough attention to. You've got really a good cream of crop athletes and schools in the DMV area, and you've got to recruit there if you want 
any kind of resemblance of a good competitive football team. And I think that's what I'm excited most about Loxley is his ability to keep kids home. There's a lot of kids in this area that are, they're good, but they're athletes. Right. And when we say that, you know, we, you and I last year went to a, a championship uh, between some of the, the private schools in the area. And that was something that we saw was some of these kids, just their, the size of them. Yeah, the one pitcher, I forget his name. I'm sorry, dude. But we we saw him. We looked at this kid. We're like, how is this kid not like a, a uh, linebacker right. for, yeah, for football? He was a pitcher throwing like 90 at 18. That's, that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty, pretty damn good. Pretty impressive for sure. All right, Scott. So we're going to talk some Orioles baseball now. I know you got a chance to go to FanFest this weekend. I'm going to let you run with this for a minute. <laughs> this was um, – it was a packed house. <laughs> Just kidding. It was 8,000 people. Yeah, I was going to say, they said it was 8,000 people there. What was your take on FanFest? Dude, I was in line for this, and oh. they on, had... Hang on, hang on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Fred, you messed it up. What I did. Got? I messed it up, man. <laughs> it's all this new confounded technology we got. Oh, jeez. Good. You feel old now as confounded technology? Yeah. <laughs> but when, when you looked at it... 8,000 was the attend- overall attendance. Now, when you in comparison, six over the past six years, it has hit 15,000 $15, people per year. 8,000 people. Now, if you know the convention center, you know Otterbane Street that kind of basically like splits the convention center, yeah. the, the street down the middle. So that was where the entrance was. So they went up that little, that little path there, and then they went down the street all the way down to the Sheridan, take a left of the Sheridan, all the way down to the Bank of America building. Holy cow. And then all the way around. So there were a lot of people. By there. the time the gates opened, it was wrapped around. Wow. Those were all Birdland members, as they're calling them now. That's what they're referring to the season ticket holders. That was probably about probably about 5,000 people at least. Wow. So outside of people that have a investment in the team, right? 3,000 people showed up. It was played really well by the media that it was a packed house. I thought it was ridiculous uh, because I, my dad and I looked at each other and went, there ain't no way all these people are, are so, season ticket holders. I mean, what's your experience with FanFest in the past? I mean, have you been to many FanFests in the past? I have been to a lot of FanFests. Okay, uh, how did this compare? What's the word? Disappointing on many oh, fronts. Okay, Not just from the fan front. But when I say disappointing, it was also disappointing. And Orioles, I'm going to call you out on this. There were about 12 vendors outside of people associated with the Orioles. That's it. Wow. Usually it's years ago, even back in the, you know, I'll call it the dark ages of Orioles history. Right. There were still a good amount of, of people that would come out. Fans that would come out because there were different things that were there. There were different. There were all these giveaways from different companies. Right. Not this year. There was. I think the WBAL was there giving away water bottles and having Mindy Becerra sign autographs. Uh, our buddies over at Section Three Three Six were right. there. They were there with the Mid Atlantic Wiffle Ball League. Uh, okay. Um, no offense to Mid Atlantic Wiffle Ball League because I I want to get in on that shit, but. <laughs> It's a little sad when you're when you're having to have leagues 
come in and and not vendors, people that sell things, people right. that people things that people come in for. One thing I always saw in years past, and I I was really prepared to buy one this year if it was there. They have, or it's like an Oriole bird, and he's holding a bat. It's all wood. It's a toilet paper holder. Ah, cool. I thought it was a great idea. I'm like, that's I got, I want to buy one this year because I saw cool. it in the past years and I didn't have like cash or anything on me, and that's what they were taking. So I was like, you know, I was that that vendor was not there this year. Huh. Uh, and I can't remember the va- name well, of the didn't vendor. They, in years past, as far as like giveaways and stuff, didn't they have like an area? Because again, I've only been to FanFest like once or twice. Didn't they have an area that was meant for like kids to like they they get one chance at running through it and they run through the the area that's sectioned off and they they pick up shirts and they pick up different like giveaways it's, from years past and things. It's of that been nature. a long time since they've done that. Uh, now really? they just open it up to everybody because a bunch of parents complained that they couldn't get one. Oh, uh, so now there's a line. No joke. The line for giveaways, there was more people in that line for giveaways at 10 a.m. when it opened than there were people sitting there to listen to Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde. Really? There yeah. are people that come. So we, were, My dad and I were walking in. There were people walking out with their giveaways. They, that's what they came for. They came for the giveaways and left. <laughs> wow. And if that people, speaks to the Orioles or if that speaks more to the fans. Uh, it speaks to a little bit to both as far as I'm concerned. But it's right. one of those things that I just wasn't impressed. Uh, Elias, though, I, I, we sat there for the first two pre- press conferences before we decided to walk around. Right. The first one was Elias and Brendan Hyde. When you sat down with them, they, they obviously bring it up open. And uh, there are some Baltimore fans that uh, – they're Baltimore fans. Um <laughs> Some some interesting questions that get brought up, but I'm not even going to get into those. One question was asked, uh, actually by the guy in front of me. He said, Eliza, how do you describe a successful season for the Orioles this year? What, what If you're picturing it, what is it? Right. And he says he describes a successful season as better international market presence, which he said can't be done this year. He said the international market is set a year in advance. He said these guys, before they're actually even allowed, quote-unquote, to be committed, they're committed to teams. He said Victor, Victor Mesa. That was the name that was brought up. Yeah. He's like, guys like that, there ain't no chance. There was commitments and verbal agreements in place and spoke being spoken for before the international signing time as it was. Interesting. It's just accepted. Now, remember, this is a guy that was on the board for international the international market. He knows what he's talking well, about. As far as international speaking that about that specifically, did he mention anything about some of the available funds and things that we had built up as far as international slot money? He did. He said, look, we have greater than normal. And how that's going to play a role, only time's going to tell. We may be able to get some deep prospects and, and give away a little bit of money. It sounded as though it sounded as though he was fine with a lower amount, which makes me wonder if he's willing to part with some money to okay. get some pieces, uh, which could be valuable Which to is us. typically what you see. You see a lot of times that people will trade bonus slot money to pick up a prospect or to pick up something. Yeah. Because like you said, if somebody else has already has an agreement in place, but maybe they don't have the funds, they need to go out and get funds elsewhere to get said player, they'll and, make a deal like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Rockabaco was standing next to me during, the, during this conference, and he tweeted it out, and I tweeted it out at almost the same time. He said they are not going to spend international money just to spend. They're going to be smart about it. Right. You know, which is what these guys are all about. Uh, they, they need to have smart, smart spending. They also want to work on better player talent 
and player development. Those are two separate things. Yeah. So it's not just obtaining the talent, but developing that talent as well. So he wants to see both. That's what he sees as a successful season. All right. Well, you talked a little bit about Elias. I know you said Brandon Hyde was also there, and they talked a lot to him. So Elias, I feel like the fans know at least a little bit more about about him and his background and kind of his mindset because of what he's done in Houston and what he's done in, in St. Louis and some of the other places that he's been. Brandon Hyde, as the manager of this team, is kind of that like wild card, that, that question mark that not a lot of people know much about this guy and his mentality. What did you hear from Hyde? <laughs> Liked good, bad, ugly? There was one question that I loved from a fan. He said, what are you going to do about players that don't do things like running out of ground ball? <laughs> I feel like I heard this. And going after, you know, hustle, basically just hustle, overall mentality, fundamentals, things like that. And <laughs> the fan basically said, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. And his response was, yeah, it's a pet peeve of mine, too, when guys don't run out of baseball. Right. And just the way that Brandon Hyde said it, everybody in the room, it brought everybody to a cheer. Right. Because that's the type of mentality that love Buck. But that was something that Buck was missing, was holding guys accountable. We talked about it. It's, I like our guys. It right. was, a, I like our guys too much. Yeah. I I was, he was too loyal. And that's something I think Brandon Hyde is going to bring to this ability. And he getting talked about it. Getting back to the fundamentals. And getting back to the fundamentals. He really talked about it with this team is changing the mindset in development in fundamentals. You know, you you have to make sure that these guys have that mindset that they are ready to develop, that they're willing to listen, and that they're willing to, to go back to the basics. Right. Well, I feel like I feel like a big part or a big task for Brandon Hyde, the the very first task that he had coming in here was formulating a staff around him that's going to help him with getting this message across to his players, right? It's got to, it can't be just Brandon that that tries to portray this image or tries to you know run the ship. He needs to have crew members that are on the same page as him per se. And I know we haven't had a chance really to talk much about some of the staff that he's brought around him. But let's 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 talk a little bit about them. So let's talk first and foremost the new pitching coach that they brought in. Doug Brickell. Doug Brickell. Yeah, Doug is formerly with Texas. Uh, <laughs> in his words, I thought this was really interesting. I had to bring this up first. It's, it's lower down on my list. He went in Texas against Houston a number of times. Mm -hmm. Too many times, as, he, as I'm sure he would say. But he stated that he's worked against Sid for so long that now, and I quote, now I'm glad to have the genius on our side. <laughs> because he talked about working with these guys and working with them. Uh, John Wellsden, or I think it's Wazden, uh, who's going to be his bullpen coach, also right. kind of hit on this as well. The two of them want to work with these guys in developing pitches. I thought it was really interesting. He did get into uh, these statistics with, with SIG and things like that. Is that old school guys, you get four pitches, develop a fifth. You right. get three pitches, develop a second. And I was waiting for him to say it, and he didn't say it, but I was waiting for him to bring up Mariano Rivera. You don't need to always develop multiple pitches. Right. If you can locate, yeah. I mean, if you can change speed, make adjustments, those are things that do well. 
Mariana Rivera is a first ballot Hall of Famer. They got 100% of the votes with one pitch. You're trying to poke the bear. You're trying to poke the bear. (laughs) But anyway, he was also asked by a fan about the consistency of the rotation, which is something that they've struggled with. And his response basically was that we have three guys right now that are pretty solid in Bundy, Kashner, and Cobb. <laughs> Debatable. Pretty soft. Guys that have historic- They're guys that they're going to be committed to. They have to be committed to because they got money invested. Well, in it's also guys you got to look. These are guys that historically, minus last year for all three. And mm-hmm. and again, whatever the hell happened to Bundy in that one game that he had to freaking run, <laughs> where I still say that that's ridiculous. He's, right. he's an athlete. But after that. He started downhill. He ha- he was having a Cy Young type year, as I had predicted. Right. With that, he started downhill. Kashner and Cobb, off years. I'm going to attribute a little bit of it to some of the change, especially for Kashner. You're going from the NL to the AL. I said we should have had Kashner two years ago, three years ago, when, we, when he was still in San Diego, right. and we should have traded for him. Cobb, I liked. He's always killed the Orioles when we faced him. So to have that guy on your team, he came in late. How much does that play a role in his mentality? Look, I know these guys are major league players, but there's a lot of different things going on. Right. But those are three guys that you got. Right now, and Brandon Hyde kind of really went with this sentiment as well, they have to wait until they get to spring training. They're not sitting here making predictions and saying, oh, yeah, I think so-and-so is good. Look, they like guys uh, like Dean Kramer that came from the trade with Scope. Uh, you know, They like some of the other guys that we already have. But until you get down to spring training, you could see these guys, and they want to see them with their own eyes. They're not going to make any rushes to judgment, which I love. And they could go with a four-man rotation, a three-man rotation with a two-man flex, right. a four-man rotation with a two-man flex, four-man rotation with a one-man flex, six-man rotation, five-man rotation with a one-man flex. <laughs> he, a lot of different ways they can go. He And that's basically I, the way I describe it is the way he described it. He literally pounded well, off all I mean, the things. thing that people need to keep in context here is that Brandon Hyde came from – the National League, he doesn't know 95% of this roster. He, you know, Other than what he's seen on tape and other than, than what he's heard, he doesn't know this roster. So until he gets spring training rolling and can really see what these guys can do in situational type stuff, we won't know a whole lot. But let's flip the script a little bit here. Let's talk hitting coach as much as the pitching coach is important. Another big coach here uh, would be the hitting coach. And they brought in Don Long to be their hitting coach. Yeah, Don Long comes on, a uh, longtime Cincinnati guy. Uh, that comes on, has a good ability, good smarts when it comes to these guys. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Howie Clark, who was the assistant hitting coach last year, is the only coach on the Orioles staff to remain on the Orioles staff. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, long, you know, he's he had a history here with the Orioles for a while as a player, comes back, and he was a... He's just never evolved, but I think he had good fundamentals, right. which is a good, good guy to have around. So when you look at him... Uh, Don was asked about Davis, and this was kind of the biggest thing. That was going to be my next topic. Don was asked about Davis and said, they said, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? And his response, again, was was sentimented by Brandon Hyde as well. Uh, He said, we're going to do everything we can. I quote here, we're going to do everything we can to help use analytics and the information we have and can get to help him and the team. Hyde added... We are going to field the best team possible, and I hope Chris Davis is a part of that. How long is the leash on Davis? Like, if you had to say, all right, I like the optimism around the chatter that is Chris Davis, and even Chris Davis has come out and publicly said that, you know, he knows he had an 
awful year last year and he attributed it to some personal things that he was going through and that he's focused and he's determined that's all fine and dandy you know talking about it is is one thing but putting it together and and I mean literally he he was never a great contact hitter to begin with he was never a high average hitter I get that at this point I'd be happy to see a 225 40 home run kind of Chris Davis comeback. I don't feel like that's asking for much, but when you're talking about a 120 hitter, because that's what he was last year, 120. It is now, let's laugh, forget this, people. It is now the Davis line. It is, right. it should, while it hasn't right. been like put out there, it, no joke, the Mendoza line was 200. It is now, for a, for a full time player, it was 200. He is. So, You've got now Brandon Hyde coming in as a new manager. You've got Mike Elias coming in trying to make an impression as a new GM. How long is the leash on him? My leash is two months. I give him till the end. When I say two months, I'm not talking from spring training. I'm talking two months from the beginning of the season. He has till the end of May. If he's not hitting 220 at the end of May, you've got to do something. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what it is. Do you cut ties with him? Do you bring in some psychologist? I don't know. I think that they've kind of Take gone down every avenue possible with this guy, trying to get him the help that he needs. And at the end of the day, it falls on the player. It falls on him to be committed and to put in the work and to put in the time. And what sucks about Major League Baseball is that the player has it in his back pocket that, fuck it, go ahead and cut me. Yeah. You're going to cut me? I'm going to keep the money. I'm still getting paid. I'm still getting paid. That's your fault. That's your own decision. But – that's that's another neither topic here nor there for another point. day. I agree. I, I think two months is a, is a good leash on him. I don't want to see them commit to another full season of a hundred and twenty hitter. That's just an automatic out sitting in the middle. You can't top, have it. The bottom of your lineup. I don't care where he is. You you can't have it. Uh, interesting statements, by the way. Uh, Jose Flores, the third base coach, uh, was not in attendance. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it. Arnie Baylor, the first base coach, says he really hopes that this team surprises everybody. Uh, there, it's going to be a young team. He thinks they can develop these guys. I like the mentality of that. Of you know, they want to surprise people with this I, ability. I I'll love be it. honest with you, like. I know that this is going to be a bad year for the Orioles. Some people are saying it's going to be a sub-50 win team. Look, I think these guys get over, I, s- over 60, 65 wins. It's, it is a success period. I don't even care. Wins, losses mean nothing to me this year. It really doesn't. I'm excited to see some of the younger guys get their shots, get their playing opportunities to see what we have, and then follow that up with what does Elias – and what does Hyde bring to the table? And what kind of changes will we see with this team moving forward? Scratch this season. This season is a loss already. Hyde will probably admit that public, you know, <laughs> privately, <laughs> and 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 Elias they, the same as well. They said that their their main that is wins are not necessarily their main focus this year, and that's what Elias and Hyde both said. They don't have necessarily a goal on that, and I thought that was really interesting to, to hear. Another thing about Hyde, he was asked by Jim Hunter. No, nobody has the title of bench coach, but Tim Cousins, who's going to be the catching and fielding instructor, will kind of basically be that. Role. Yeah, I saw that he was like the major league coach or it, something. It major was, league field, yeah, major, it's major league field coaches I think is what they call it something like that it was it, interesting to see but, but he was asked and that Jim Hunter actually asked that one of the fans so that was quite interesting alright alright man and now it's time for the two minute warning all right, Fred. 
It is your turn this week. I know you the, the topics. This is where we're starting to get a little thin on these topics. It gets a little <laughs> difficult. Yeah, not a uh, whole lot going on in the sports world that we haven't covered already. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll make this work. All right, man. Your two-minute warning. It starts. Meow. All right. For the brawl October 6th at UFC 229, the NSAC suspends Khabib Nurmagomedov for nine months and fined him $500,000 of a disclosed $2 million purse. Conor Gregor also was suspended by the commission for six months from the fight and fined 50K. Kind of ridiculous as Conor got nothing for the bus incident in August, but a heavy suspension for his actions during the Khabib fight. Not sure that makes a whole lot of sense. Penny Hardaway came out stating that he feels the heat and jealousy in his first season as head coach for the Memphis Tigers. He says the heat comes from... He says the heat comes from the NBA background of his coaching staff saying there's a lot of people that don't want me to succeed because it's going to look like an NBA guy came back with no experience and won. So, of course, I relish in that. Keep doing your thing, Penny. He's one of my favorite guys growing up. In a heartfelt story, Texans Deshaun Watson surprised his mom with a home renovation, which made her full of emotion. As a throat cancer survivor and loving mother who encouraged Watson and his dreams, Deshaun felt his mother deserved it as he revealed the remodeled home to her. This kid just seems like a good dude. Good kid. Can't hate on this kid at all. Boston University study states that former Atlanta Falcons linebacker Tommy Novus had the most severe form of CTE ever documented. His family wasn't surprised as they watched him deteriorate over the last years of his life before passing in 2017 at the age of 74. This story continues to push the narrative of player safety in the NFL while also not completely giving up the traditions of the game. San Diego Padres have reportedly interested in infielder Manny Machado, but rumors are saying that they have a backup plan in place as well. Mike Moustakis would be that plan if they are unable to land Machado. Not a bad backup choice. May end up saving them a few dollars and get you a top third baseman who is okay with playing third base. Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s 100-foot yacht is now reportedly for sale, and the brokers are asking $4.2 million. A whole lot of money for a yacht. (laughs) Supposedly, it's got some, you know, some artifacts, you know, for that that senior had put in place before he eventually did, did passed. You read, so did he ever? Value. Did he ever get to take that thing out on the water? I don't think he did. No, no, like it's a. Uh, I thought I remember somebody saying that it was uh it, it wasn't even completed before his death. Unfortunately, uh, that's it, man. It's a wrap on the show, Whew, man. It's always a fun week here as we go through. Wrapping up episode 82, we want to remind all of you guys, check us out on our website, www.burnlandbs.com. You can find all of our episodes there. You can find out about each of us. You can contact us and get yourself some Birdland BS gear, which we pretty much always are wearing. I feel like I've got a wardrobe for every day of the week. Uh, get yourself one as well. Check out the Big Play app as well at bigplay.com. We have been on there. This is our second episode on Big Play. We appreciate it, guys. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you subscribe to them on Twitter, Twitter as well and all the social media sites. Birdland Sports, we're still there. We're there with other podcasters and writers as well. And you can make sure that you check us out. There's enough content every day of the week for fans, by fans. Follow us on Instagram, all of our social media accounts. Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Twitter, Fred BLBS, Scott BLBS, Birdland BS. Check us out. All of those places. You can also use hashtag BLBS Nation. You can use hashtag Playmakers for Big Play. Make sure you check us out. 
You can also check out all of our audio podcasts on places like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and be on the lookout. We're working on iHeartRadio. Check that out soon. As always, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday night, 845. Stay tuned for the after show here in just a moment. For Berlin BS, I'm Scott. I'm Fred. See you guys. See you.